Hello, and welcome to World in Focus, the podcast where we look at the events of the world and put them in focus so we can live our lives with a clearer view of the world we exist in. I'm your host, Nick, and this week we're going to take a look at the first GOP debate that occurred on August 23rd of this year. In this episode, we'll set the stage, pun intended, for the debate, but discuss the players involved, their performance in the debate, and a few of their weaknesses and strengths. And then we'll finish things up with a little summation of who came out ahead, who lost ground, and who, in my opinion, made their strongest case, or weakest case, for their candidacy. It would be practically un-American at this point if I didn't at least interject a little of my own thoughts. But anyway, let's get to it. So, before we get into who played upon the stage for our first debate, we need to look at the dynamic at play for its construction, which should of course begin with the fact that the debate was hosted and moderated by two personalities from Fox News, a partisan network with its own agenda, ideals, and politics at play, which could, and I believe did, affect the manner, tone, content, and targeting of questions to the candidates, as we will see later. That being said, the debate did still comply with the moderation standards set by the Commission for Presidential Debates, whose only three criteria for moderators are, one, familiarity with the candidates and the major issues of the presidential campaign, two, extensive experience in live television broadcast news, and three, an understanding that the debate should focus maximum time and attention on the candidates and their views. All that in order, we can now see our candidates who were put on the stage in order of their current polls, with center stage being the highest polled. At the center, we have Ron DeSantis, the current governor of Florida. He is flanked by Vice President Mike Pence and newcomer Vivek Ramaswamy, followed by former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie and former South Carolina Governor and U.S. Ambassador Nikki Haley. After that, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, and former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. For better or worse, the latter three candidates can be largely left away at this point. Though I will note that Doug Burgum made a strong impression in his firmly vocal belief that, quote, what works in North Dakota won't work in New York and vice versa, which I found to be a fresh assertion compared to the blanket statements that we'll see made by other candidates through the debate. But I digress. From here, we should take a look at the, for lack of a better term, major candidates for the debate. So, we may as well go top to bottom from the pre-debate polling, beginning with the controversial Ron DeSantis. Now, my lasting impression from this debate regarding Mr. DeSantis is that I have never seen a candidate lose so much steam so quickly as the top polling candidate president at a debate. And that in the first debate of the season, which is largely considered to be inconsequential. Now, leading up to the debate about a week before, Mr. DeSantis drew a lot of attention and flack in the media due to a memo that was leaked, which kind of stated his playbook for how he would handle the debate, which loosely translated essentially came out to being that he needed to hammer Ramaswamy into the ground, block criticism from Chris Christie regarding himself and Trump, and then defend Trump because Trump's not there. Now, it became really clear from the very beginning that DeSantis was on his heels. Instead of being the hammer, he was the one who was hammered by Ramaswamy as he laid into him for using prefabricated slogans and playing off of a super PAC script. Criticism of which DeSantis played right into as his reactions to those very much came off as him deflecting by using the exact same kind of slogans that Ramaswamy referred to. 
it was so obvious that DeSantis and his team had just rushed to try to adjust their strategy after the memo got leaked and DeSantis did not stick the landing, which when you're center stage makes the fall look even worse. And if there is one big loser in this debate, that loser is Ron DeSantis this time, which like I said before, it's the first one and is typically seen as inconsequential in the grand scheme of Republican or any presidential candidacy, which is in large contrast to the next two candidates who could largely be considered the two biggest winners of this debate. And that would be Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley, who both made very strong arguments and really came off as being large personalities. Um, So beginning with the polling order, let's go with Ramaswamy, whose campaign and debate style could be simply stated as young Donald Trump with a quote-unquote American dream twist to it. Uh, The latter being because he spoke numerous times about how his parents were immigrants and how he came up with no money and turned himself into a millionaire. And then the former being the Donald Trump-esque method of his debating and campaigning style as he presented himself, coming in the fact that he claimed many times that he's not a politician, he's a businessman. And also that he's the, quote, only one on this stage not bought and paid for, which really rings back to 2016 Trump doing pretty much the same exact strategy at that point. Uh, He also adopted the famous Trump strategy of loudly speaking over his counterparts and criticizing and insulting them to their faces. This time, usually with insinuations of corruption, imbecility, or by lumping them in with what he calls the toxic federal administrative machine. He received the most cheers for energetically raising his hand when candidates were asked if they would support a Trump nomination, even if convicted for a felony. And then again for a statement that he would immediately cease aid to Ukraine if he were elected. And then another one saying that he would pardon Trump on day one uh, if he got elected. Um, He was hammered pretty hard for both of these statements from across the board, but he maintained what I would call an air of youthful arrogance is the best thing I can come up with to describe it. He, he seemed positively unbothered by the criticisms that came his way, predominantly from Nikki Haley and Chris Christie and Mike Pence, um, who honestly mostly came at him for being a young amateur with no political experience, which I think they took that strategy because they looked just positively flabbergasted by some of the things that Ramaswamy was saying. Not unlike in 2016 with Trump, who said some things that positively flabbergasted his counterparts at that time. Now, the thing that Ramaswamy came off, I think, worst for is his statement about cutting aid to Ukraine. Because it's something that a lot of people are split on, including within the Republican Party. And Nikki Haley really came at him hard for that, saying that, you know, a win for Russia is a win for China and that it could ultimately end up in a war if you don't help out the countries that are being invaded by the two biggest threats to American politics. Which I think smoothly brings us to Nikki Haley, who, at least in my opinion, really came out to be the most logical and level-headed candidate throughout the debate at one point going on the attack not of the candidates but of the moderators telling them that they need to get the debate under control because everybody was going over time 
talking over each other, not obeying the rules at all. And also, she was, most notably to me, the only candidate to really take an air of full transparency with facts rather than to make just, you know, parroting patriotic slogans, which came across the most in her attacks on Mike Pence and Ron DeSantis in the case of abortion. Uh, where they were talking kind of sweepingly about it being a moral issue and, you know, that life is a life. The, the stuff we're used to hearing from candidates like that. And she chastised them for misleading the voting population, telling them that they know full well that regardless of a White House victory for the Republicans, that they wouldn't get 60 votes in the Senate to pass an abortion ban further telling them that it was irresponsible of them to pretend that a Republican president could make a sweeping ban on legislature regarding abortion simply by being president. Which I found to be really refreshing, I do have to say, because you just don't see that. You're used to these debates being predominantly what it was, which is just a lot of blanket statements with not a whole lot to really back it up. And she was the only one, even though it only happened a few times, that really did that. The next time being in another statement about the defense of Trump, she said that nobody wants to see another Trump-Biden race and that of the polling done so far, 75% of Americans said they don't want to see a rematch of Trump and Biden. And um, I certainly don't. I don't know about anybody else. But I digress. Uh, the most notable thing policy-wise, I think, uh, or that stood out in terms of her interactions aside from the abortion issue for Nikki Haley was really attacking Ramaswamy for cutting ties with Ukraine. She did so very tactfully, this is why it stood out to me, is because Ramaswamy went at her and then she cut back using her time to rebut because she was mentioned in particular um, about Ramaswamy's plans to cut aid to Ukraine, which she said that a win for Russia is a win for China, and then made a really heavy allusion to the appeasement of dictators during the 1930s, which largely ended up leading to World War II, uh, and kind of synonymously lumping Ramaswamy in that without actually naming him, which by the rules didn't give him a chance to rebut not that they were following the rules, but in this particular instance, it really kind of gave her the final word on how that would go, which came off just very tactfully. I think that was really intelligent and clever way that she went about doing that. Okay, so almost done with uh, with our candidates. We just have, as far as the major candidates are concerned, we just have Chris Christie and Mike Pence left, both of whom were obviously not popular to the crowd. Uh, Christie was actively booed in his attacks on Trump, and Mike Pence similarly uh, made most of his statements in utter silence of the crowd. Statements in which he clearly was expecting to have some form of applause and cheering, like the kind of patriotic slogans he was saying, and then it was just crickets in the crowd. Now, as far as Chris Christie goes... He received the most positive attention when he was talking about Ukraine because he just visited Ukraine. And he went into, over his time, he went into some detail about the atrocities that he saw and heard about and was briefed on in his meeting with Zelensky and other politicians in Ukraine while he visited. And 
he did garner some passionate, if perhaps a little begrudging, applause from the audience, which very quickly turned to booze when he, perhaps not so politically uh, smart, used that opportunity to elude that Trump was in cahoots with Putin and therefore is not viable as a candidate, saying that you know, Putin was a man that Trump had called a genius and a good man, and that man is now invading another country and whose forces are committing just terrible atrocities, which he uses to parallel Trump's own um, faulty morals, I suppose, was the point to be made. Uh, and that kind of is really the status quo of how Christie's experience in the debate was. He He made a lot of statements that were anti-Trump, and he got booed for it because that's just the state of the Republican Party at this time. Now, as for Mike Pence, other side, uh, he came off pretty categorically weak for the first three quarters of the debate until moderators asked a question to everybody about whether they believed that Mike Pence did the right thing by certifying the 2020 election during the events of January 6th, you know, the insurrection that happened in D.C., Pretty much to a T, all the candidates who did answer and not dodge the question assented that Mike Pence did his duty to the Constitution, which I think bolstered his previously weak standing that he held for the majority of the debate. Now, that's pretty much all of our major players. And just a little taste of what it was. It was a two-hour debate, and this is going to ideally be like a 20-minute podcast. If I have time in the coming weeks... I will try to do a larger profile on each of who I consider to be the major candidates. But let's pull back to what we're talking about now. So what do we take away from all of this? Well, at the beginning of the debate, the people who were there, Ron DeSantis was far and away the lead. At the end, he probably was one of the weakest. I would say probably about on par with... Mike Pence or maybe a little bit lower by the time that it was over. Nikki Haley and Ramaswamy were the two standouts. Um, Ramaswamy just basically for being loud and really just being like a, a young Trump. He didn't strike me as having much individuality in his political uh, strategy aside from I'm just going to be like the guy that they all love. Nikki Haley, on the other hand, was remarkably coherent and tactful and intelligent in all of her replies, which is something that I'm not used to in any political debate, which is usually just a ground where people throw insults at each other in my experience. So I found that to be very refreshing. And I think that she got a lot of notice from people watching because of that, not just for the fact that she was the only woman on stage, which also does stand out. And she was very importantly, the only one not wearing navy blue with like a red tie or scarf or something. She was wearing like this bright blue dress, which really stood out from everybody else who looked like they were clones wearing the same thing, which I think is a major point to make. Okay, so I did mention in the beginning of this that Fox News being the host and two personalities from Fox News being the moderators had some impact on the debate. And I want to just take a couple minutes to go into that. So first off, the moderators have a list of questions in binders that they can ask to anybody at their own discretion. Now, that being said, 
their discretion was likely planned ahead of time just based on my experience with Fox News. I want to say that this is my interpretation of how things happened. So there were questions, pre-recorded questions that they had access to that they would then ask the candidates, as I just mentioned. And it seemed to me like they would ask more important and perhaps easier to answer questions to DeSantis and Ramaswamy more so than anybody else. And contrary to that, it seemed like they were asking questions that were much more difficult or inconsequential to Chris Christie and Mike Pence, who have been seen as Chris Christie being a vehement attacker of Trump and Mike Pence being a betrayer of Trump, which I think is important in the grand scheme of things. Uh, this is evident, at least in my mind, a little bit by the end of the debate, they do a lightning round of questions where they give candidates 30 seconds to answer and each candidate gets like a single question. So nobody gets to answer the same question twice. It's just one question for each thing. And they were going through and they were asking these important good questions about foreign policy and economy and budget and gun violence and things like that. And then they got to Chris Christie and they asked him about UFOs. And if that's not a question that you ask a candidate when you just want to make their time worthless in the debate, then I don't know what is. And that to me is the only thing that like really stood out when considering the moderation standards by the CPD, which is the Commission for Presidential Debates, where they would understand that the debate should focus maximum time and attention on the candidates and their views. And that question, I do not think at all covers that. Nor is that a major issue of the presidential campaign at this time. So I think that kind of stands out to me as a bit of a red flag as far as the moderation of this debate goes. That being said, overall, the debate was a debate. It's like every other political debate you're going to watch during any election cycle in the last 20 years. It's, it's a farce, especially since Trump did what he did in 2016, which totally changed the dynamic and made it even more unprofessional and more about personal attacks and vilification than actually debating policy. I found that there were only three or four instances in the entire debate where a candidate actually said something that they either believed or had some verifiable fact for, most of which came from Nikki Haley, and then a little bit from Chris Christie regarding Ukraine. And that was pretty much it. The rest of the time, it was just slogans and you know, vilification and going for shots at personal glory. And I just thought it to be, it it's really not worth your time to watch. You'd be better off reading about each of these candidates individually than, and you would learn a lot more than you will ever learn by watching them speak to each other on a stage, especially a stage with an audience. I understand that that's partially the point of a debate is to have an audience there, but at this point in American politics, a debate with an audience is about the audience and not about the people who are actually debating, which are the people who are going to end up being in power, maybe, if they win an election against Biden. So all that being said, that was my interpretation of how things went. Uh, overall, I think that probably the strongest candidate there was Nikki Haley, uh, at least as far as intellect and tact goes compared to everybody else. Um, I think Chris Christie could be a good president just based on looking at his experience from being governor of New Jersey. I think that he's not a good people person, which let's be honest is just a, a fact of somebody being from New Jersey. That's not a strong suit for them. 
And I say that as someone from New Jersey, so perhaps I'm a little biased. But that's my interpretation of things. If you have anything you'd like me to cover, more specifically a candidate or a policy or a major issue that will be coming up in the 2024 election and probably in these Republican debates, I would be happy to take a look at it and make an episode about it. So uh, please let me know in a comment or you can send an email. Uh, you can contact me on my website, which is wifpodcast.com. And guys, thank you very much for listening. Until next time. Bye.